Hey, NGBN, it's Brian Jonas with Pick Up The Six Productions. Join us here at Pick Up The Six as we introduce you to the men and women among us who go above and beyond through service, purpose, and impact. Whether it's travel in the United States or right here from our studios, we can't wait to pick up the six with you. Hey guys, welcome back to Pick Up the Six. Today's guest is Chris Cathers of Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation. Chris is a Green Beret and he was one of the first 10 agency contractors in Iraq in the first days of that global war on terror. After his service though, Chris was feeling it, man, like in the form of PTSD and then later diagnosed with stage four bone cancer, but that is not slowing him down. Let's meet my friend, Chris Cathers. My brother, what's up, man? Good to see you. How's it going, Brian? Thanks for having me, man. Well, look, we look badass. We got matching hats on, so we look phenomenal. We got the bro memo. He's got his pick up the six yeah, right there. Yeah, That's my guy. <laughs> That's my guy. But we got our matching Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation hats on, so we look good. And the last time I saw you, and for folks that are watching on NGBN TV, and you saw that video from the Enough event where we met, dude, the beard was longer. It's a little trimmed up. You're looking clean, man. You look sharp. Yeah, it's a love-hate relationship with the beard, man. <laughs> the old lady wasn't having it anymore. You know, she said, hey, it's got to go. So it went, and uh, now I'm growing it back again. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was pretty long. But it looks, you, you got you got a serviceable, serviceable, man. yeah, it's down to there, man. <laughs> Dude, what's going on in your world today? We're going to talk a lot about, man, like what got you to this path and just the journey. But I always love to just ask, man, like what's going on in Chris's world today? Uh, right now, uh, for the whole month, I'm just going to be grinding, um, pushing our next event that's coming up for uh, BKVF, for Brothers Keeper Veterans Foundation, uh, up up, up your way. It's going to yeah. be in Augusta, Georgia. So that just, um, it's kind of like gambling, man. We put a lot of cash out there and we just got to make it dreams become a reality. So that's what we've been pushing for the next, you know, the last month, month and a half. It's a yeah. big event up there. So that's taking a lot of my time. Yeah, we're recording this show. Uh, on the front end of what will be the Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation annual gala. They're going to host it in Augusta. We're going to be on the ground down there, uh, partnering up with those guys and helping them bring that thing to life with some video stuff. So we're going to show you some of that a little bit later in the show. If you're listening on the podcast, you got to tune back in next month and you can see that. You can see, man, just by the look and obviously by that intro, this is, uh, we've, we've become friends, man, very quickly. And I'm excited about that. This guy's got incredible service to our country, but he's not letting it sort of stop once he hung the uniforms up. And it's now carried through with this Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation, which is doing great work to help veterans across our country. But man, let's go back to, you told me, man, when we met, you're like, dude, I was just that, that original ADD kid. Nobody knew what to do with him. He was always moving. He was busy. Teachers were like, this guy's a handful. So young Chris Cathers was kind of bouncing around, right? Yeah, pretty much, man. I mean, I, I still feel like I have a little bit of, the, of that going on, you know, today, which is good. You know, having all that ex excess energy, I try to like directionalize that for doing good things. Uh, that's what I've been doing now. But yeah, growing up, I, I that's what sports was my outlet. So that kind of kept me out of a lot of trouble, even though I still got in a lot of trouble. But um, yeah, I was the original uh, ADHD kid, you know. Um, I was on Ritalin in third grade because I was driving my, my parents crazy. I had so much energy. So thankfully for me, I found sports. You know, mm -hmm. I, try, I tried a little bit of everything from wrestling to basketball to football, um, uh, martial arts. You know, I, I started when I was six years old and then carried it through all the way through high school. But running was the th my outlet that really stuck with me. And uh, I did that from eighth grade all the way through my senior year. 
And yeah, I was pretty accomplished runner for, you know, what it was at the time, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, that it's pretty tough to get like a running scholarship, especially where I was at. You have to be very exceptional to, to kind of get into the. Where were you growing up? Uh, I was near Philadelphia. I was in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. So about 45 minutes north of the city in Bucks yeah. County. Yeah. Team, team Wawa. What's up? Yeah. Wawa, man. They make great <laughs> hobbies, dude. Shout out Wawa. Yeah. We got married in Northeast Philly and had our wedding reception in Ben Salem. So, I mean, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Ben Salem's close, man. We yeah. used to compete with those guys. That's right. All right. So parents go through a tough divorce. That probably has an impact on your life, but your dad, when you graduate from high school, like, look, man, you basically have three options. You're going to go to the army, yeah. you're going to get a job, or you're going to pay for college. Yeah, which, you know, I had no money. I was in high school. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I was on a bad path. You know, I, I thought I was going to end up uh, either on the streets. You know, uh, I didn't expect to really have a long lifespan with the track that I was on because I was such a troublemaker. And, you know, I have this whole story about my, my father actually arrested me in high school, which is kind of, you know, unique, right? So, like, one of one of his deputies came into school and actually uh, pulled me out of class because I was carrying a weapon and got in a fight in school. And somebody brought a pistol to school at the same time. Not unrelated to me. Just right. bad, bad timing, bad coincidence. Just terrible timing. Like, what, <laughs> what are the chances? Yeah, so my dad wasn't happy. He made the front page of the newspaper. Uh, I was suspended for 10 days. If it happened today, I would have been in jail and I would have been expelled yeah. from school. And, uh, you know, I got another chance. But, yeah, I was getting a lot of trouble. I got arrested three or four times in that in that year between 11th. I think it was 11th grade going into 12th. And um, so, yeah, he gave me those three options. And ultimately, I decided, you know, I went down to MEPS. I signed up for six years right off the bat, came back home. So what'd you decide to do? I said, I just joined the military. He said, how long? I said, six years. He goes, you freaking idiot. I was like suggesting maybe you, uh, you know, try it out, maybe do a three-year commitment, maybe not a six, but it worked. It worked well for me. You know, um, I'm glad I did it. Um, I needed a little bit of a kick in the butt and a reality check, and it allowed me to focus my attention to do good things and be surrounded with, you know, I, I got the work, you know, that that's why I'm still involved with the veteran circles. Uh, it's a huge part of my life because yeah, it really yeah. kind of put me on the right path. And I got to walk with giants, you know, it's kind of cliche to say it, but, you know, compared, compared, my career was fairly short in the military, but then I went on to, you know, OGA, but there was years I got to work with really exceptional people. And I tried to take the best out of those situations and apply them to my life. And I still carry, they carry on to this day, you know, so yeah. I'm, just, I'm really grateful to work with so many great people, you know? You guys can just tell by the look at him. You're like, that guy's got to be sort of special forces. You look over his shoulder, Dale Presso Liber, that sign of the Green Berets. It's funny because obviously a great friend of our show, and if you've been with Pick Up the Six for the last few years, you've got to meet Lowell Coppert along the journey. We've become almost like brothers. He said that same exact thing. You guys are both Green Berets. He said the same exact thing hmm. to stand on the shoulders of giants through his career. That's striking yeah. to me that both of you guys who go through similar programs, different time, right? He's a little bit younger than you are, right? So he came in after you. But yep. to say that same exact thing, I wonder if that's just, man, is that a Green Beret thing? You guys are wired a little different, man, than some of the other SF well, guys that I've met. I think what's different is like, you know, I went through when I was older, you know, well, for me, I was in my mid mid twenties when I went through selection and I had no background, man. I didn't have an infantry background. A lot of these guys came from like Ranger Battalion mm -hmm. or their 11 Bravos. I had like a soft skill MOS because when I did that six year commitment, I wasn't smart enough to, to know at the time, you know, they said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be airborne rangers. I said, absolutely. And that was my, I got screwed by a, a recruiter story. Right. 
so two years in, I accelerated and, you know, as max my PT test, I was always like physically, I, I, I just love, you know, getting after it, you know, in the gym or working out and running and all those things. So I quickly realized that I wasn't in the right path. And I said, I want to go to ranger school. You can't go to ranger school because I wasn't a combat MOS at the time, mm. but they allowed me to go out to selection. So I made it through um, selection first go. And, it, you know, it was definitely really challenging for me because I haven't had that kind of level of um, push before. But when I went through it, it was like um, it was a little bit of a wake up call because I realized how deficient I was when it came to combat, you know, having those, those combat skills to apply. So I had to play a lot of catch up, man, from a mental perspective, not physical. Physical stuff was always easy to me. Well, not easy, but. I can grind, you know, that's one thing that I feel that I'm really good at. But when it came to the mental, like looking around to my left and right with the other people that had those experiences, I was like, man, I'm way behind the power curve, man. Um, so it took me a bit, um, you know, to learn. I just kind of fed off some of those people and they, they, they took me under their wing and helped me out, you know. And I think the thing that you were mentioning with Lowell, you know, it, it's really about a team atmosphere. Everything, even with what I do today, you know, if, if the business succeeds, my team did a great job. If, if the business fails, it's all on me. You know, that's that's how we're raised. You know, like when it comes to special operations, it it's it's a hev, hev, heavily uh, uh, team team environment, team approach. Everything's about your team, man. The guys to the left, the right of you, they're the ones that you care about more so than yourself, typically. At least that's how I always have been. So, yeah. And that was so amazing, man, when we got to hang out last November you know, that week leading up to Veterans Day. And we kind of become a part of this sort of ragtag thrown together team that's marching across South Carolina with this shared mission. But I think our whole focus throughout that that thing for the success was, all right, let's focus on the team. Let's focus on the team. We don't need to worry about each of us individually getting our flowers or getting our praises, man. Let's just, we got a bigger mission at hand here, which was at the time spreading awareness, right, for veterans, mental health, suicide prevention, all that. We're able to rally around it. All right. So on 9-11, are you active duty? Are you out at that point? Where are you at on that day? Because then I know the fire kind of gets kicked back up and you're like, man, I got to do something here. Yeah, I was actually in college because, you know, I, I tell people I was too stupid to be a medic, which is pretty much true. Right. I was a weapons sergeant. So it's kind of like the, uh, you know, I don't know if I should know if low was or not. But anyway, um, yeah, I was uh, 18, 18 Bravo. So um I, I wanted to kind of prove everybody wrong and go to the PA school. I, I was interested in medical. Honestly, I, I was kind of hoping to get selected as an 18 Delta and do some of that work, but mm -hmm. it didn't work out for whatever reason. So I went to PA school up in Philadelphia to a private school. And while I was in college, 9-11 occurred. I was actually getting my hair cut that morning. And when the first tower, uh, you know, the plane hit the first tower and I was in the, you know, getting my hair cut, it was in process. And so then I was driving to school when the second one hit and I was, I think I was going in for like a biology test or something. And I knew immediately, you know, I turned around, went back home and, you know, shortly thereafter, I called back to my team sergeant at the time and I tried to get back on the teams. So I said, Hey, what do I got to do to get back? And essentially I talked out of it. He's like Grenada, Panama, the first Gulf war, these things are all over really quick. By the time you get back, it's going to be over. Dude. Um, you know, hindsight's 2020. Yeah, no shit. Two other podcasts that I did, my team sergeant's like, hey, man, way to make me look like a jerk, right? So, but nobody knew at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going to lead to 20 more years of, uh, you know, essentially like combat operations in the Middle East. So um, I kind of, 
I was keeping contacts with some of my friends and one of my friends was working in Afghanistan with the, uh, with the agency. And he said, Hey man, would you like to be a part of this? You know, and it's a quicker pipeline to get you, you know, they're looking to recruit people to get, you know, punched out overseas and it'll be a little bit quicker than going through the SF route. And I said, heck yeah, man, what do I got to do? And that's kind of led me to go work for, uh, OGA in uh, the early days of Iraq in 2003. How long did you end up doing that? Um, my first deployment was in the summers, like right after the invasion in 03. So I spent most of the uh, 03 in, in Iraq, went back in, uh, January all the way through like Fallujah when that occurred. No, I guess that was, uh, yeah, about late, late in the spring uh, is when I left. So I did rotations between Iraq, Afghanistan, and Israel, and I hung it up around 2006 to kind of, you know, at that time I thought, you know, hey, what am I going to do? What's going to be the next step? And I had, you know, undergone a couple IEDs and things like that. My ex-wife at the time was like, hey, look, you just got hit twice in one week, you know, by IEDs. And we had just gotten married at that point. And she's like, you might want to consider, you know, what are you going to do in your long-term strategy, you know, when this is over? And I was like, man, I don't know. I like doing what I'm doing. But I transitioned to uh, indigent ar armor. A couple of my buddies, I had invested into a armor vehicle company that was started out in Stanton, California or Southern California back in uh, the early early 2000s. And I kind of got brought into to, to that company as a project manager initially. Then I got my business degree, started working on Six Sigma and uh, all the automotive things that you need to kind of run armored vehicle uh, production companies. And we expanded really quick, really fast uh, between, you know, the four of us. We went from 26,000 square feet in California to Charlotte at 68,000. And then eventually we ended up in uh, Fort Mill, South Carolina at 300,000 square feet on 33 acres and ended up selling the company to private equity in around 2010. So it was just like, I took the chaos from the early days, like being in Iraq and combat situations, mm -hmm. North Africa and things like that. And I translated that to a business perspective because running startups is a lot of, it's a lot of chaos and you got to take the chaos and make process. Right. So I kind of like, I thrive in those environments for whatever reason. It kind of keeps my mind distracted back then. You know, I had a lot of things going on in my mind. <clears throat> and um, the more hard work that I, I would put in, similar with the gym, yeah, that's when I had a calming effect, you know, was when I was totally occupied. The worst thing for me was when I would sit home and I had nothing to do. That's yeah, when I would yeah, lose yeah. it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, those moments of isolation, man, that's when a lot of that happens. Hey, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about that. Plus, we got to dig more into what Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation is doing. Before that, though, guys, we got great stuff going on at NGBN TV. Head to the website, though, because now we've got some NGBN gear, which is amazing. We've got hoodies, hats, all that good stuff. So you can support this pirate ship as we are on a mission to provide content for men in their 40s, 50s, and 60s to quite literally save men's lives. We need you with us. Go to NGBN.TV, click the store link, use my code PICK6. You can save 10% off today. And I got to give a shout out to my man, Joe Baker of Joe Baker Fitness. Dude, I was working out, man, doing boot camp workouts, lifting a little bit, and I just was feeling kind of a little stuck in a rut. And I was like, I got to get stronger at a couple of core competencies so I can make sure like you, that I can do the things I need to do to take care of my family. Like if danger's in the way or if shit's going down, I got to be able to pick my family up, right? Get them out of the, get them out of danger. Joe's locked me in with a great workout. Go to JoeBakerFitness.com. And one of the best things he has is this community. He's got the bakery, 
So you can get in there with other folks who are also getting after it. And they've just got a great group going there. So go to JoeBakerFitness.com, get some more information, tell them I sent you. Quick more sponsor. We'll be right back. A little bit more of our conversation with Chris coming right up. Amino Vital is on a mission to provide the highest quality amino acid-based nutritional products to all athletes aspiring to improve their conditioning and performance. They are a partner of our efforts here at Pick Up The Six, and I use their product before, during, and after workouts. They offer the purest and highest quality of amino acid products that help hydration and recovery. Check them out at amino-vital.com and use the code PUT6 to save 20% off today. All right, we're back with Chris Cathers of Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation. Man, just got to hear your story a little bit. You talked before the break about, man, those moments of, if you'd be by yourself or the, the sort of moments of isolation, when you were busy, when you were working, building business, all that, maybe things are moving all right. But in those other sort of quiet moments, so how'd you deal with that, man? How'd you have the awareness, right? What was that kind of the sort of mental health journey like for you? Yeah, I think what kicked it off is I my, my buddy who brought me into the armored vehicle company, his name was John, uh, John Michaels, and he was a, a, a SEAL from the West Coast, and we were real good friends. We ended up, uh, my buddy Ron introduced us when we were working in Iraq. We became partners running around, running and gunning together, <clears throat> and, you know, they started up the armored vehicle company. They asked me to come in. I was initially came in as an investor, then I, I kind of came in on the ground level with him. So it was like dog years, you know, running in startups, running in Iraq is like, you know, essentially dog years, you know, every month is kind of like a year, right? So we really, we ended up living in the same neighborhood. Um, he was a couple doors down, it was kind of like the mafia, you know, we had like our CFO, other general managers himself were all in the same hood, right? It's like, uh, you know, the kids in those movies and the shows are always like, we're with the same people all the time and we call them all uncle and nobody's related. I'm like, yeah, that's... It felt like the mob, man, because right. we're like, you know... Not that we're suggesting that the mafia is real or anything by any stretch. Of course not. Right? <laughs> no, you guys are cool, man. Um, track suits are really awesome. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of... Uh, you know, we we're living and sleeping in the office. Sometimes we'd yeah. stay in the office for two days straight, like no exaggeration, right? So I'd come home at two or three in the morning, his light would be on. And he was just investing himself into the business, you know, and learning this like a sponge. So we, he was a good mentor to me. He was younger than me a couple of years, but he he went on a business trip when he was 32 years old to Amman. Jordan ended up dying. Mm. Um, I might have the, you know, his age slightly wrong, but he was pretty young. I think he was around 32 back then. And uh, I got a call at three in the morning that he passed away, you know, and uh, initially we weren't sure, you know, if it was him, but we had other people from our business that were with him and some were from the SEAL team, some were from the agency, some were from other government agencies, all, all trusted guys. When I got the call, I was like, holy shit, man, like, you know, we're out of the game. We're not running and gunning anymore. This was a business trip. Um, he was at SoFix in uh, Amman, Jordan. So anyway, I, long story short, because I could talk about this for like extensively, I've done, you know, four hour podcast on this one section. It's pretty bonkers, but ended up uh, we had to walk up at 6 a.m. to tell his widow um, that he passed and his two daughters that he had. She was nine months pregnant with his first boy. So when the kids answered the door for me and I made contact with uh, his wife, um, it just it just wrecked me, man. Like, you know, she wailed. And I talk about that because the sound, 
I'll never be able to forget it. It was just like something I've never heard since, you know, and it was like nine month pregnant woman knowing, just looking at me that her husband is, is, is gone, you know, and I've had to do other news. I've lost a lot of friends, you know, over the years. Um, but that one just hit me to the core. So, uh, you know, then I had to go back to work. I had 65 employees and tell them that everything was good to go, you know, cause we just got bought that week prior by private equity. So anyway, long story short, there was some gray area, if you want to call it that, with a private equity company. And I don't want to get sued, so I can't really talk too much about this part of the story. But sure, no problem. We had $3 million life insurance policies, and I worked there for eight months with this company, knowing my gut just told me something was off, you know. And I spent a lot of time, you know, with, with his wife and family, trying to make sure that everything was squared away for him. And they ended up telling, you know, I gave them an ultimatum eight months later. I said, hey, call New York. I've had enough. You know, they're going to have to say, are they going to give her the life insurance money or not? And they said, tell her to tell, tell his widow to sue us. Well, on the spot, I resigned. My buddy's dead. I resigned. My ex-wife at the time filed for divorce right on the one-year anniversary of his death. And, you know, I had a 6,000 square foot house on the lake. I had 12 properties, all these physical things. I invested all my money from contracting and I was doing really well for myself, which was great. But so outwardly, everybody's looking at me like, hey, man, this guy's living the life, man. 30, yeah. Young 30s and he's balling, right? And my life was a wreck because I just lost everything so fast. So I started drinking and doing uh, pills and things like that. And I just got my anxiety was so high that I couldn't I couldn't even be around people that my friends it got to a point where I just isolated myself after work. I would just go to the gym, work, go to the grocery store. And that was my my human contact, really. And so that was the first the first time I tried to contemplate suicide was in, I think it was in 2011. And it was pretty wild because these things started happening over a six month time period. It just got worse and worse and worse. And the only time I would get reprieve would be when I would work out and do like MMA style workouts because I was uh, really enjoyed uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai, you know, I, for for a hobby, you know. And so I was training with UFC fighters and like world class athletes. And my my cardio, I got down to 170 pounds. Like for for you know, right right now I'm about 210, 215. So like. You know, I was real thin. I didn't even realize it. And I would just self-medicate to sleep, taking Ambien, mm. taking pills, you know, Oxy, all the things. And I was only doing it. It wasn't because I was just, you know, seeking those things out. It was just that was the only time I could, like, get things to be calm. And, you know, so the only way to quiet some of that stuff down. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was pretty bad. And then I had all the pressure, like, I got to go find a job. I had no exit strategy, have no job, no friend, no wife. What am I going to do? I got a $5,000 mortgage, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it was a lot of pressure and I ended up going to uh, my next defense position. I ran two more defense companies and got back into private security. But during that time, I never really got through. I thought I could figure it out. You know, I was eating really healthy, really clean, but I was still drinking a lot, you know, like nobody would know because, you know, even at 45, I still had a six pack. People were like, oh, you, you know, this guy's not, you know hurt you know doing something to hurt himself but i but i really was so it, it didn't come until 2019 i was on my third defense you know job and then i got back into private security uh doing executive protection for celebrities and things like that and i got diagnosed with a, a pretty rare form of chondrosarcoma i had some pain in my hip in 19 and i was like man 
this doesn't feel right. I thought I had a sports injury from jujitsu because I was doing jujitsu quite a bit at that time. And I was, I was getting older, you know, I was in my mid forties and uh, long story short, you know, I was like, let me just get an MRI. Cause I just got back from Milan. I was protecting a, a client overseas and, you know, I was walking up some stairs and I was like, man, that, that pain doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? And the radiologist called me really quick. Like it was probably within 45, 30, 45 minutes. And he's like, Hey man, I've been doing this 30, 30, almost 30 years. And I've never seen anything like this. So, you know, you might want to be in the ER like right now. And my Whoa. wife worked at the ER here and I was like, well, that sounds bad. And a lot of my friends that I work with in the early days of Iraq and, um, in Afghanistan, specifically Iraq, um, we're getting sick with a lot of cancers and uh, quite a few of us, you know, passed away. Um, I think we had like five, five people that had ALS. We had brain cancer, pancreatic cancer, colon cancer, like all these guys that were fairly young and very fit <clears throat> started dropping off. And at first I thought, man, it sounds like a little bit of a conspiracy theory. I'm not going to get on board with that. There's not enough data points, but over the years, more and more, more and more funerals that we went to, that's what saved my life. And that's my public service announcement to other veterans. There's a great nonprofit. And I'm going to shout out uh, Chelsea at uh, Hunter seven foundation. They really do a lot for veterans that have cancers. The prevalence of, of veterans that have cancer is exceptionally high. You know, if you're just in the military, you're more likely to have cancer and there's a, they have a lot of data behind all this and that's what really saved my life because mm. if i didn't know i probably would have put it off longer and i was very close i was 230 pounds doing jujitsu and lifting pushing a lot of weight and they said my femoral head was so compromised that i was probably this close to snapping my femoral head like in a joint and if if i did i would have been an amputee at the hip Whoa. Yeah, my tan lines at the beach would have been totally wrecked. <laughs> so, yeah, it kind of saved me. So at first they didn't know, you know, and they misdiagnosed me. And again, that's my public service announcement. I'm like, I tell veterans, especially as you get older, man, do your blood work, you know, go to your primary care doctor and get screened for all the different types of things that you can, because it ultimately may save your and, life. And like be an advocate, ask questions, man. Like, don't just... You right. have to advocate. You got to ask all advocate for yourself and just ask. It's like you got one shot at this thing. It's your body. Like ask every, anything you want. Yeah, and if I didn't, um, I was in the hospital five days when that radiologist called me. I got admitted immediately with my wife. She worked at yeah. uh, the same hospital where I got admitted, and I was in there for five days. And they did a fine needle aspiration with a needle about this big. It was probably about seven, eight inches long. And they stuck it into, into my femoral head and they missed, of course. But uh, they're like, man, you know, we think you're good to go. We're going to put you on some antibiotics. We think you have a bone infection. And I was like, man, I'm super healthy, bro. Like, <laughs> it doesn't seem right. That's something like older people tend to get, right? And uh, they kind of slapped me on the butt and they said, hey, have a good one, man. And I said, I want to get a second opinion. And that's where, you, just like you said, you got to advocate for yourself. So I got a... Um, there's a little Indian woman named Dr. Raya Pudi and she freaking, I went to her and she goes, I don't think you have cancer, but I'm going to send you to ortho oncologist. They're going to do a mm. bone graph and try to repair that bone. And when they went in, I called them a week later and I said, Hey man, you guys got my results, you know, from that biopsy. And they said, yeah, you have cancer. It's pretty rare. It's like less than 1% of 1% of all cancers. And uh, you're going to have to get your femur taken out in your hip probably. 
and I'm sure you got questions. I was like, yeah, I got questions. Like, am I going to freaking die, dude? <laughs> it's a pretty big question. It's a pretty big follow-up. You'd want to, yeah, you'd want to get some data on that. But, uh, yeah, so I went through a bunch of surgeries. They took my femur out, my hip, my glute, my quad on that one. And I almost lost my leg a second time. You know, that was a pretty brutal. They called it a brutal and radical surgery. And I was like, wow, sounds fucking, you know, <laughs> sounds serious. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, so your life takes this like. That's a pretty drastic change. That's a drastic shock to the system to be given that kind of news, that those kind of procedures, right? To start sort of chopping away. But does it, um, I mean, man, does it, does it in a way, I think it does just from being around you, lock you in, right? Does it in a way say, I don't know how much time left I got. I don't know what else is going to happen. I got to get rolling on some stuff that maybe I'm passionate about. Is that the genesis and the drive behind Brothers Keeper Veteran Foundation, right? Like that all seems to me like it probably kind of coincides a little bit. Yeah, I think one of the things it was a wake up call with my mental state, right? I was like, look, I'm pretty good at grinding. I'm pretty good at suffering. I call myself a professional sufferer, which is pretty, you know, it's a moniker you don't really want to. To, to have, you know, I mean, listen, man, I got a lot of friends that, uh, are, are similarly wired to me and you that would tell you that suffering is a necessary part of life, you know, and you can rejoice in it, uh, cause you know, it's going to give you some endurance and some character and some hope, or you can run from it. But if you run from it, it's ultimately gonna, you're going to have moments. Nobody's going to be able to get through this thing scot-free. Yeah. And I think that's really with a growth mindset. I always preach to people about growth mindset, right? Like I might not be the most articulate guy in the world, but I'm pretty experienced at growth. And through that like darkness, I was suffering for about 12 years where I was suicidal, like pretty heavily, like through not, not constantly throughout the year, but it would be off and on maybe a month at a time. Then it would it'd wane a little bit. The more I drank, the more dark, the darkness would hit. Right. And when I got cancer, I was like, man, I got to get my mind, my mind straight for my wife, my family. You know, I want to be, I want to be present and I want to get, I want to get after it, man. I want to kick, I want to, you know, cancer might get me in the end, but I'm going to make it my little bitch until that day comes. That's kind of my, that's just how I'm wired. Right. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but that's the only way I know to go about it. It's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get after it, man. I'm yeah, not going to, sure, it sure beats sitting yeah. around and letting it get the best of you at every moment. It doesn't mean you well, probably don't have bad days, tough days. Well, those are bad days, but you want to have more good days than bad days. And when, when I talk about growth mindset, it was like, man, I was struggling so hard just to like, I was putting a gun in my mouth so often where I was like, dude, I'm going to end up. I got cancer now. It was like my new enemy. The enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. So I was kind of like, well, let me, let me start dealing with this stuff straight, straight on while I'm de dealing with cancer for four years, I dedicated myself to put in not only like work on my, my physical body, but my, my spirituality, but my mind, you know, like your mind's super powerful man, and your mindset is so important. And when people struggle, like I struggled for 12 years and I'm like, man, how are other veterans doing it? And then I came to the realization after losing a bunch of friends with suicide myself, they're not doing it. You know, yeah. unfortunately, people, you lose that battle. You get so exhausted after a while. I remember getting to a point where I was like, dude, I'm just tired, man. I'm over it. I'm over the suffering of like 12 years, man. Like just grinding and like, I'll tell you what, like stage four cancer, special operations training or selection and assessment, buds, whatever. <laughs> Nothing's worse to me than the, the suffering that 
that I personally went through and other veterans are going through, I kind of identify with those guys because everybody's not the same way. I, I understand that, but you know, that suffering is like next level, man, when you want to end your life because you don't feel like, mm -hmm. like there's any other way out. And that's where the growth, you know, if you're paying attention during that, right? So when people go to the gym and they get after it, man, you and, and you work with a lot of people that are maybe getting older or whatever, you're always going to have pains and things like that. When you're in the gym, you look at fighters, right? Your boxers, MMA, their training is way worse than the actual fight. Typically you're killing yourself for like six weeks, you know, in camp, two months, depending on what, what the length of your camp is. That's where your growth happens, where when you go to perform the night of the fight, you've already put the reps in, man. You've already killed yourself leading up to that fight. The fight is, you know, besides the weight cut is the easiest part like, or it can be besides your nerves, because you put the reps in your confident. And I feel like that that's the thing, you know, in the darkness, that's where you can really grow if you're paying attention to it, Yeah. you know, and if you want to yeah. get better at business, you got to, or school, you're studying for tests, it's miserable. When the test's over, you're like, okay, that wasn't that bad. But the studying was the hard part. That's like, you're putting the work in. That's right. So I, that's right. I did that for four years, man. And it all paid off. It, it took me a long time. I was doing seven modalities at one time. It took me four or five hours a day that I was going through therapy while going to the gym, while trying to like battle cancer and going through all these procedures. You know, I had my lung removed in September of 2000, I guess it was last year, a uh, year and a half ago. And uh, then they did a biopsy about six months ago on one of my lymph nodes where I was like, dude, this might be it. You know, it's I'm already stage four. I'm working on stage five. Now it's in my lymph nodes, but I got too many things to do. So anyway, I kind of put all that past me. And then I decided, you know, look, I want to be a force multiplier and I want to help as many veterans as possible. I started with a documentary and I was like, man, this costs a lot of money. We're still doing that. It's still going on right now. Um, of, you know, it's kind of changed hands once or twice, but I was like, how many people can I help through a documentary mm -hmm. for a foundation where I can have, I can help as many people as the bigger and better that I make this company, the more people that I can physically improve the lives or save their lives, right. And optimize their lives. And that's where, where, what led me to BKVF or brothers keeper veterans foundation, 2022 with help of journey home project. Um, Charlie Daniels, band manager, he, he took a, a chance. I interviewed him for the documentary and David Corlew, who was Charlie Daniels, uh, tour manager for about 45 years said, Hey man, I want to pay for your legal setup for your nonprofit. And I said, dude, that's amazing through their nonprofit. And I'm, I couldn't appreciate the guy more. I give him a shout out wherever I can. Cause he's a, he's a true cowboy handlebar mustache 73. He's out in uh, Tennessee working on a farm when he's not pushing journey home. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of what led me to Brothers Keeper Veterans Foundation now because I put the work in and I got to a place where I'm, you know, solid, you know, mentally. Now, you know, dealing with one-on-one, -on -one, I can only save so many people. But now we're impacting so many different veterans' lives on a daily basis sometimes, you know. And I was getting, call like, guys that were suicidal have had three calls in one day, like people that I knew that called me. And, it, and when I wasn't good – that stuff would weigh on me. And I was like, dude, if I, if I say the wrong thing, this person might hang up, you know, I've had people hang up on me or they might, I might hear a gunshot and that's it because I didn't know the correct things to say. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, you know, just like over this break, I took QPR training, which is a suicide prevention, you know, certification, essentially, just to kind of educate yourself on things you can, you know, what are what are the good things to say and not say? Yeah. Yeah. And there's great programs out there. In fact, you know what, guys, I'm really excited that Chris brought this up. Stay tuned for more details. In the month of March, we're going to be offering something pretty incredible at NGBN, a chance for men around our country to get free certification training, right? It's going to be webinar virtual style, but to be able to go through that process, to know what to say, right? To Chris's point, to know what to say next in the conversation of guys says this, obviously we're not fully trained professionals. We can't clinically help someone, but you can walk them through the steps and ideally get them out of that moment of crisis and on to the, to the next thing. Tell me, man, just before we wrap it up, just the mission of this organization, right? What are you guys going to be doing? And also, how can folks help you out, too? Well, I mean, the mission, to me, the most important mission is, you know, really, um, I, want, I want to curb the epidemic of veteran suicide through funding veterans treatment uh, for as long as needed, right? And a lot of that could be, focused, we're heavily focused on mental health, you know? Um, <clears throat> that's not to say we, we help people through service connections, through if they have limitations or an amputee. There's a million different things that we do do. But the most important thing to me is one, I want to save save lives. I want to optimize people's lives and, and put them back in the driver's seat of life. Um, I think a lot of people that are struggling, they feel like they're just in the passenger seat of a vehicle going through life and they have no control. So kind of my goal and our goal as an organization is to empower veterans to take the driver wheel back of life and and you know have an impactful life that they're they're happy about, you know. So that's kind of what we do. And that's the, the most important thing to me is just making an impact and curbing that epidemic of veteran suicides, because it's it's just an epidemic that's been going on for too long. And I want to create a movement of uh, a true movement based on relationships. That's that's what kind of sets us apart from a lot of other people. They're focused on one modality. We leverage all these other nonprofits and their skill sets and their brick and mortar we fund and create, you know, we have a pipeline of veterans in need. We fund them, we punch them out, reassess and get them on the next thing until they're, they're ready to go. So yeah, it's incredible, man. It's incredible. Let me put it back up there. BKVF.org. Go yeah. check them out. I mean, just doing incredible work. You know, we got introduced again last November, kind of thrown into this shared mission of working alongside this enough project, but got to hear more about what they were doing and what was really incredible to me is that what Chris and his team have stood up, I mean, they've done it in about a year. You'd think this group has been around for 10, 15 years. So the man's hustling, as you can probably guess. He's like, I got to go. I got to go. 800% growth in our first full year. Um, we started in 22. Yeah, so 22 wasn't a full year, but uh, going into 23 was our first foundational year is what I call it. And I'm planning, to, we're on track right now to, to better that. And that's kind of my goal, but we don't want to compromise the quality to the veterans in need. That's kind of my thing. I got to control growth. Yeah, that's and right. You know, look, at the end of the day, all I, all I care about is the veterans in need. So it's not about me and my, you know, or our accomplishments as an organization, as far as growth, if we're, we cannot compromise our quality and we won't compromise our quality to the veterans because, you know, the, the veteran community is, uh, if you mess up, they'll let you know about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind That's of right. uh, good, but yeah, if anybody wants to help out, uh, they can go to bkvf.org, as you mentioned, 
you can donate. You could you can ask. We're actually starting some peer to peer uh, programs where people can get involved nice. in our neighborhood as far as fundraising, rucks, runs, and things like that. Um, you can come out to our events. You can just hang out if you're a veteran and become part of that community again, which is fun. And our next event is coming up in uh, on February 10th up in Augusta, Georgia, which is a, Mar a Mardi Gras masquerade kind of theme. And we're calling yeah. it Un Unmasking Veterans Mental Health. So I'm pretty excited about that. We got Nick Lavery as a keynote speaker, also a Green Beret, extremely exceptional person. Um, Been on this show, great dude, a couple times. Yeah, I'm excited to hear his yeah. story because I know he just great. on Ryan and things like that, and I haven't sat sat through it quite yet. So I gotta I gotta pick up a copy of his book before beforehand. But I'm I'm happy I'm happy I get to hear him in person. Yeah, and you guys you guys will have a great time together. Guy. Yep, you know, yep. he's a great human, brother. This has been uh, man, it's been fun. It's been interesting, uh, emotional. I've been just grateful for the time to be able to. do I'm so thrilled for what you guys are doing, man. You know, doing something that is stepping into the fray, but also doing it in a way to unite, right? bring other organizations together. You heard Chris say like, man, we can't do it all on our own. We'd be foolish to try to do it. Let's go find other folks that are rowing the ship in the same direction we are. And that to me is what's pretty incredible. And that's a little bit of picking up the six, right? My brother. That's right, man. That's right. All right, man. Perfect. More to come. It's a uh, BKVF.org. He's Chris Cathers. Thanks, bro. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it, Brian. Pick Up the Six is sponsored by Mudgear. Mudgear serves the unleashed with gear for the modern hybrid athlete that's made tougher. They've created strong, functional performance gear like their performance shirts, shorts, and socks. I wear Mudgear on the regular. Whether it's for a road race, an obstacle adventure, or a ruck, Mudgear can help you gear up for extreme performance. Go to mudgear.com, use the code PUT6, and save 15% off today.